Black Ass Podcast with Hadia Robinson. Bono, bono, ba bono, boom, ba don. Yeah. That's right. Well, that's about goddamn time. I've been waiting all goddamn day. <laughs> what up, everybody? Welcome to Black Ass Podcast. It is Hadia Robinson. No, you are not dreaming. You are not being bamboozled and led astray and run amok. Um, I'm about to drop an episode. It's actually a pre-recorded episode, but it's just going to give you some background about what was going on, but I am bringing the podcast back. So this is one of many that will be coming up to finish out season two. Thanks everybody who sent emails, continue to hit my, um, Instagram and Twitter. Like, yo, what up? All of the ones that jumped in my DMs. You know how the kids be jumping in the DMs. They jumped in my DMs. Anyway, uh, but I really want to thank my guest on this upcoming episode, Tanya Sharice Odoms. Uh, and I think it, I'm hoping that this episode helps a lot of people. So here you go. So for those that don't know, um, over a month ago, my mom passed, which is why I had not been um, recording the podcast. So instead of me coming back on and just doing an episode talking about Trump and Mueller and you know, all of that garbage and trauma and, you know, Tyrese dancing in the kitchen and I'm going to talk, to, talk about that next episode. Um, I felt like it would be a good idea to sit down with someone and talk about being black and grieving and how to grieve. So I'm so excited to have uh, my guest on today. Her name is Tanya Sharice Odoms. She's a licensed clinical social worker and she is a certified clinical trauma professional. That's right. I'm not in here playing no games. I didn't go and get Deontay or uh, Miss Mabel <laughs> from the church where she be frying fish all the time, but she gives good advice. No, I brought an actual certified trauma professional um, to really talk me through as well as anybody out there who's dealing with a loss about what it means to suffer a loss as a person of color and how we grieve and what ways we can grieve. So let me thank and introduce Ms. Tanya Sharice Odoms. How are you? I'm great and thank you for having me. And I think it's important that we as a community have these conversations as a village because yes. many of us suffer in silence. Mm. I was just out, that's one of the things I always <clears throat> say on my podcast is that legit it is a village. Like mm -hmm. sometimes people think, oh, that's just an old term, but no, it's not. It's not, it's yeah. not. When we're dealing with something as difficult as trying to go on with life and someone who has meant so much to us has gone, that's not something that we can do effectively alone because it creates feelings of isolation and loneliness that leads to depression, mm. which most of us are functional depression. Come depression. on. We Come learn on. to function in the depression, and which I believe is handed down to us from slavery. Right, right, because we never had a chance to grieve the loss of our husbands being sold, our yes. children being sold and beaten and raped. So we just had to keep going. Yeah, I don't know that we ever were taught how to grieve. Right, so I don't think that we can teach people how to grieve because there is no manual on how to grieve. People are wired differently. They're going to grieve their way. Adults grieve different from children, right? Right. Um, but 
I think the concept of not being allowed to grieve, not being allowed to acknowledge the loss, just having to go on with your day or your life, yes, that definitely has been passed down culturally, historically. Listen, we come from a lineage where you are being snatched away from your family. Your children are being snatched away and sold. Um, you watching your mate being lynched, whipped, and raped, right? right? right. And you still expected to get up right. and hit the fields the next day. And, and not please. kill their baby when you're taking care of it. Exactly. You were expected to stuff your feelings down right. and just go on with your day. So, yes, we haven't been taught how to express emotion. And if we do express emotion, it's usually anger. Mm. And it's become, let's take it beyond anger, rage, because we spent years suppressing the pain, the sadness, the disappointment, the feelings of abandonment, rejection, that when we do express something, it surfaces as rage. Mm. And that's where a lot of the violence is coming from. That was one of the things I was thinking, you know, when my mom transitioned, it was like, and we just had to get back up. You know what I mean? And that was even some of the advice I was getting. Like, all right, well, you got to get back up. You got to go. You got to get back to work. You got to, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, yo, this is my mom. This ain't, you know. Exactly. This is like. It's a serious loss. It's a serious loss. And you have to take the time to be still and allow yourself to feel the feelings that come with such a tremendous loss. So being still, that's something that I've heard you just said, but also I've heard other people say, you know, be still. Can you break down what exactly does it mean to be still? To be still is to come to a complete stop, to completely pause and allow yourself to be with yourself. You are not worried about your to-do list. You are actually taking the day off to deal with you. So be still means different things for different people, but the best way to be still is when you get up in the morning before everybody else in the house gets up, go sit in a quiet space and just tune into your breathing so that you can begin to listen to your body, so you can begin to monitor your thoughts, so that you can begin to tune into your feelings. Right, so when I say be still, I'm saying unplug, cut the phone off. Spend some quality time with someone you haven't seen in a long time and give them your full attention. Give yourself your full attention. Mm. That's being still. Should black people start a grief fund? It's like, should black people basically start planning, putting money aside for these traumatic moments when we really do need to, you know... Get our white girl on. Oh, my God, it's just so much. I just, you know what I mean? Like, that's a luxury white people get that we don't get. Oh, my God. I just totally care right now, you know, but we have to. But that's part of self-care. So I think that it is important for us to have a nest egg or at least have a job where there is some real security where you can take a mental health leave, right? You can get documentation that you are struggling with a medical condition because depression is a medical condition and you can't get time off of your job and you can request sick leave, right? So, but yeah, setting yourself up to have the money and the time needed to recover from the trauma of loss is necessary. So, yes, have your nest egg. Mm. 
So for somebody like me, an artist or the dude that's rapping in his basement, we mm -hmm. just fit out of luck, huh? <laughs> what is your suggestion if you're working a non-traditional job? Okay, so my suggestion is you may not be able to just take 30 days to yourself, mm -hmm. but my suggestion is that you find time each day to be with yourself. Yes, I understand that as entrepreneurs and, and as entertainers, you need to be on your grind, mm -hmm. right, because you're promoting your career. But it's also important to know when to slow down and to be still. So you may not be able to take two and three, four days or four weeks, but you can take 20 to 30 minutes a day to mm. be still, to write, to reflect, to, to tune in. You can take an hour a week to go see your therapist and, and, and take your feelings off the shelf and open the box and say, okay, this is what I'm dealing with, and then put it back in the box and put it back on the shelf until your next session, mm. right? Giving your t yourself the space to grieve. What do you say for people who are come from backgrounds that where um, counseling and therapy is not supported. Like, you know what I mean? Because thankfully, I'm around people who would encourage, yo, go, you know, go sit down with somebody, boom, 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 you know. But there are also people who come from backgrounds where they're like, well, Jesus is going to do it. You just got to call on him. You or know? they come from backgrounds where they tell you that you be telling people you're Right, right. right. You're going to lay up on that couch and tell them what. You know what I mean? Exactly. And they are shamed into, you know, out of, you know, these. Well, again, cultural, historically, therapy has not been an option for us, right? And when these therapeutic interventions did become available to us, people of color have been so victimized by different systems. Mm. We're very mm. mistrustful, mm. right? Mm. Very mistrustful. Um, then considering all that we have to deal with in America as people of color, and you're sitting across from a therapist who is not from your cultural background and may not speak your cultural dialogue or language and you feel like you have to explain everything for them to them, it may feel like a waste of time. So what I would say is, and I really encourage the community to, to begin to look at therapy as an option and a safe space to begin to explore your feelings, to begin to even learn how to acknowledge what you're feeling and learn effective coping skills, more maladaptive, I mean, more adaptive or appropriate um, coping skills because the maladaptive is beginning to get hooked on the drugs, you know, mm. um, doing things that are self-destructive so that you can numb out. But actually giving yourself that hour a week to go and sit with a neutral person, not your friend, who has who, can, who should be remaining completely objective about what you, you share and can give you some guidance on how to effectively cope with the challenges in life that we all face. So I would really encourage that. And it is uncomfortable in the beginning if you're not used to it, but it's part of self-care, having a place where you can just let go because we hold on to everything. And then when we can't take anymore, the, the camel that breaks the, the, the straw that breaks the camel back, we just explode like volcanoes because we've been holding so much in. So being able to sit with this person who is clinically trained to help you explore your issues and who can just be a listening ear, who's non-judgmental, who has no stake in, I'm not, they do have stake in the outcome because they want to see you get better, right. but they understand that it's a process 
Because our families get frustrated. Oh, you need to. If you, it's been five years. Could you come on and get over it? I was just about to say. They yeah. get frustrated with us. They don't have the patience. Yeah. So having this professional who is really a listening ear and who can give you some objective feedback on what they see and what they hear could be very helpful. What are some things that, like, if I, if I had, and I don't, thankfully, people in my life, like, you need to get, you need to get it, put it together. Like, what, what would you tell me to say to them? Like, what are things that I can say to help them understand that? Okay, so the first thing, in order to respond in a non-defensive way to people who may appear insensitive, mm-hmm. is to not take it personal mm. and to try to be empathetic and compassionate to them because they feel powerless sitting in your pain and watching you deal with this pain. They want you to get over it Mm. because it's hard for them. Mm. Right. That's the empathy and compassion. And that's like putting yourself, your feelings aside for a minute and say, what's going on with this person? Why do they want me to get over it? Understanding where it's coming from. They're uncomfortable watching their friends suffer in this pain. So, a nice way to tell them, because you don't, you probably want to tell them to shut the you-know-what oh, up, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> is to say, I know this must be hard for you to be watching me grieve, and it's uncomfortable, but I need you to respect my process. Mm. Don't rush me through this. If yeah. you want to be there for me, be there for me. Right. If you feel like it's too much, I understand. But don't rush my process. I like that. That's 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 perfect. Cause see somebody like me, I'd be like, if you don't with the hand clap, if you don't get the whole, <laughs> if you don't get the, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, be ready to fight because you feel that they're being insensitive and, and 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 not acknowledging what you're feeling. But it's really they want you to get over it because it's too uncomfortable for them to deal with, and they don't feel powerless. They don't know what to do. So always remember that when someone is trying to rush your process. Mm. And help them acknowledge, because there's a lot of times it's subconscious. Mm. This apparently is uncomfortable to watch someone you love, me, go through this. But don't rush my process. And don't be afraid to tell them what you need from them, because they don't know what to do. Yeah. So they tell you to get over it, because they feel powerful. You tell, this is what I need from you. And if you can't provide it, I get it. But don't rush my process. Don't rush my process. I know that's right. <laughs> Okay, because that's, that's a lot better than straight throwing hands mm-hmm. <laughs> at the repast. <laughs> um, just thinking about grief and loss. <clears throat> and um, I said this one day as a joke, but there's a lot of truth to it for me. It's like, you know, part of me never wanted to get a dog because I always felt like I've experienced enough loss in my life. What I look like putting, you know, grab, attaching myself to something that I know, you know what I mean? Is going to be out of here before me, you know, mm-hmm. and um. So you avoided the connection with the dog to avoid uh, pain, and that's what we do, and it impacts relationships in general. We want our hearts get broke, or we lose somebody close to us to avoid experiencing that pain of the loss of the loved one. We block our hearts off, but the truth of is, you can't experience true love if you're not going to allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to experience the pain that sometimes comes with it. Mm, well, that's going to be a whole other show right there. Cause. <laughs> <laughs> so I work in a high school in Brooklyn, and I'm helping a lot of young people for the first time acknowledge and deal with their trauma. And a lot of it is relationship issues. 
See, I feel like I that's when I'd be the bad auntie. Like, girl, if you don't get your ass back in that class and get to reading and somebody's book. We, and that's what we tell our children. So we don't allow them to mm. tune into their heart senses and feel the loss. Mm. to feel that rejection mm. right you want to be in a relationship he's telling you he doesn't want to and you trying to hold on to something that this person no longer wants so it's still a loss you know what's so crazy and i just had a straight epiphany that's the that's the training and that's the that's the knowledge we don't get as young black women i'm speaking specifically as black women mm -hmm. because oh my god if I could have processed that as a child or as a young girl going through that, by the time I was 20-something, when you really is getting, you know, you, I don't want to say hoeing in the streets, but look, <laughs> everybody's journey ain't the same. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I could just be like, you know what, let me go ahead and tap into that time when I was, you know, boom, boom, boom. But if nobody tells you how to do it, you just repeat the same cycle over and over. So, wow. Right. So, I'm a strong advocate in creating the space to grieve, to deal with challenges in life, but also not being so stuck in it that you can't function and carry out the rest of your responsibilities that you have. I, oh my God, I am suffering some from the same black people stuff. Like those levels of, oh, you get over it. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I just got that. Yeah, because I would have been like, girl, if you don't get out of here and let me watch this episode of Love and Hip Hop from last night, and you know what I'm saying, like, you know how many more dicks you gonna, you know, sorry, no kids are here, but you know what I'm saying, like, that was legit, I wouldn't say it that, you know, but basically, like, girl, it's so much dick out there. Right, and then because they're so young, we feel like, what you crying over? Like, you can't have feelings at that age, and you shouldn't be in a relationship anyway, and who are you to be in love at 16? Yeah, right. knowing so, damn well when I, what I was doing that showed up, and it felt like the whole world was on fire and coming to an end. Yeah, and that's yeah. why many of our kids think about suicide because mm -hmm. they feel so alone. No one is listening to them. They're dealing with this loss on their own. So my advice to parents who are dealing with kids, boys or girls, because we always talk about girls being boy crazy, right? Mm -hmm. But when young people experience a significant attachment outside the immediate family and it's the first attachment mm -hmm. and then that relationship ends they experience it like a death mm. like someone has died and they have to go through the same stages of grief mm. that the living go through when they're grieving someone they had to bury mm. you know so mm. and i mean I'll, I'll talk a little bit about those stages so the first stage is denial like denial that the person is sick or dying or has died. You don't want to believe it happened. You avoid anything that could possibly remind you of the possible loss or the loss that has occurred. The next step is you get angry. Why did you leave me? God, why did you take my mom? You get so angry with the world. I remember I was angry. I looked my mother at 17 at anybody who had a mother mm. and could give their mother balloons on Mother's mm. Day. Right? I was angry. I couldn't. I didn't want to talk to people who still had their mothers. Yeah. You know? The next step was is bargaining, right? You start to bargain. If you just let my mother live, okay. All right. That's right. What you're going through right now is going to help heal your audience because you're sharing your pain. And that's something we don't do in our community is we suffer in silence. We don't share our pain. 
And that's when the depression sets in because we feel alone. When you feel this, you need to take deep breaths and let that emotion move through your body. The first thing we stop doing is breathing. We restrict it. Take deep breaths so those tears can flow and the energy can move through your body. <sighs> breathe. That sometimes that's all we can do is breathe. You know? And I'll finish the different stages in a minute. So the bargaining is you're bargaining, let her live. Why didn't you take me? Why did you take my father? He wasn't here for me. You know, stuff like that. Um, and then the depression sets in where you really begin to experience the loss. You feel a sense of hopelessness. You feel the emptiness. You feel aloneness. Then the final stage is acceptance where you come to a place. You come to a place where you accepted the loss and you begin to reintegrate back in your life and things are getting back to normal. But one thing I have to say about these stages, they're not steps, right? You might get to acceptance and then you're back in anger, right? Yeah. You might get to anger <laughs> and then you move back to bargaining. Yeah. So yeah. They, they're not just even steps and you go through cycles, you know? So difficult. Yeah, I, I feel like I've experienced all of them and, you know, within the course of a day, mm -hmm. I've gone through every last one of them, you mm -hmm. know. Um, one of the things that I deal with, and I don't know if other people have dealt with this in situations, is feeling like I don't want to reach out to people and shift their day. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't want to feel like a burden. I don't want to feel like a burden, but, you know, like, I just really understand how real energy is and how you, you know, I, when I'm going through something, I envision this, the person I, I need to talk to having a great day there. They just got up. They just realized they had the perfect amount of milk to go with their cereal. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They maybe got up early. They about to get to go and grab a Starbucks. Just all this amazing opportunities are laying in front of them. And then who am I to call them? And then shift their day from, oh my God, yes, yes, yes. Oh, hey girl. Oh, oh no, girl. God is good. He is. You know what I mean? How do you break yourself out of feeling like that? You know what I mean? I think that goes back to the strong black woman syndrome and the self-sacrificing piece of this, the, the um, syndrome. To save your friend from maybe experiencing a low while they're supporting you when you need it, you rather not reach out for the help and suffer alone. But as a friend, this is what we do when we love people. We go through it with them, right? So it's about reaching out and saying, I need to talk, are you available? And if they're not, make the next call, right? And being okay if people say, no, I can't talk right now, I'm not taking it personally. But for you not to reach for help and you need it, is not a good thing. Uh, how do we break the cycle of, you know, you got to be that strong black woman. You got to be the strong black man. You can't cry. Or, you know, how do we break these cycles? How do we get past these ideas about, you know, what we're supposed to do in these times? Well, I am a recovering strong black syndrome survivor mm, mm. <laughs> and I still struggle with the symptoms of it and I can speak from my own experience I had to let go of my ego 
Mm. Worrying about what people think, worrying about what people are going to say, and be willing to be vulnerable to say what's really going on with me. Being vulnerable to sit and cry in front of people, right, and not have to wear the mask of the strong black woman when my inner child, my little girl, was hurting, mm. right? Allowing the grown woman part of myself to take over and stand up being confident in who she is, whether she's crying or curled up in the bed in the fetal position, and being true and honest about what's going on with me and not worrying about what the world thinks. So I think that just be willing to be authentic, be willing to be vulnerable, and be willing to let go of your ego, because our ego will direct us in the wrong way, because we're too busy trying to put up a front and wear that mask. And when the mask is snatched off, the ego becomes very fragile. But if you can just say, I'm human, acknowledge this is hard for me. Be true to yourself and what you're feeling. A lot of times we want to deny what we feel, right? No, I'm not angry, but I'm busting windows out. You are angry, honey. <laughs> right. Right? You running around here cursing everybody else. They just said, my kids, no, I ain't mad. Ain't nothing wrong with myself. People are not born miserable and angry. You are angry. So be willing to acknowledge. So to break that syndrome, I just say stand in the truth of who you are and what your experience, because your experience, like you being willing and allowing yourself to be vulnerable enough to make your first show about grief and grieving when you're still in the midst of your sitting here with me with tears in your eyes, that's strength. It takes strength to be vulnerable because you took your mask off. And as a result, your pain is going to help heal others because you are being vulnerable right now, allowing yourself to share this with people while helping, helping give them information about how to deal with grief while you sit here with tears in your eyes. As a comedian who's supposed to always be laughing. <laughs> you understand? Yeah. You're being real, right? This is real. Not that you're not real, but you're being vulnerable and authentic right now, standing and sitting here in your pain with a stranger, talking about it and using it to heal your community. That's vulnerability. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. What are the unhealthy ways that people may cope with grief? Or so, so, in an attempt to numb their feelings, over-drinking, over-drugging, right? Um, promiscuity, multiple sex partners, putting themselves at risk, Spending, running up that credit card bill, mm. right? These are unhealthy ways of coping. Risky behaviors such as drinking and driving, like you won't directly make an attempt on your life, right? But you might put yourself in situations to be killed or to be harmed. Mm. So indirect suicide. So I'm not going to pull a trigger myself, but I'm going to wear red on crypt territory. <laughs> You get it? <laughs> you get it? Right. Why would you do that? <laughs> right. Why would you do that if you didn't want to die? Right? right? Yeah. So, um, so those are some of the... That's some gangster ass shit to do. That's a gangster way to go out, though. I'm just mm -hmm. going to say. Right. I'm not going to pull the trigger myself, right. but I'm going to go in a situation and let somebody else kill me. Mm. Right? Because I, 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 I just can't pull the trigger myself. Right. But I'm going to put myself in a situation where I'm going to be harmed. Whether it's getting in a car with a drunk driver, 
screwing a man who I know has had multiple sex partners and has given me an STD already and I'm not using condoms. Mm. We're putting ourselves in situations where we can be harmed. Mm. When you talked about over sex, <clears throat> normally if I bring up sex, I would always tell my mom to get out the room because I know mm-hmm. she's listening. <laughs> uh-huh. Um when you bring up over sex, for the people who find comfort in sex, you know what I mean? Or is that is that not a good thing? Like, is that is it bad to feel like you that is a way for you to get the pain out? Or I think what makes it bad, first of all, we know sex is not bad if you get any Come on. If that's all I'm trying good, to say. Right? Woo, won't he so, do it? Go ahead. I think which can make it a negative experience is if you're having risky sex. You're not protect, you're not practicing safe sex. Like right? Fifty Shades of Grey with a real shady ass, you know. Right. Oh, okay. Right. If you are having multiple sex partners and um, I believe in sexual freedom, what's good for you is good for you. But is your pro- it, it, are you being promiscuous and unsafe? Mm. Right? Are you putting yourself at risk of unwanted pregnancies and then have to make decisions about what you're going to do and that's trauma on your womb if you choose to go get an abortion or release the pregnancy? Um, are you putting yourself at risk of HIV and STD infection? Mm. Right? Mm. And is this more of a compulsive behavior, meaning you're not really in control of it, you're just impulsively making these decisions? But if it's really an opportunity for you to bond and connect with your partner of choice, it can be healthy. Because mm-hmm. lovemaking will give you some endorphins to help you deal with stress. Hey, so yeah, we too. need to look at why you're doing it and how you're doing it. And that can tell you whether or not it's worthwhile. Mm. Right? Are you doing it to fill a void because you feel empty and you're trying to connect? And are you doing it with people who are not trying to connect? So what's the purpose? Mm. What's the purpose? I'm going to have to think on that one. But I feel what you're saying. (laughs) I think you got to weigh, you know, which one you need at that moment, at that time. Uh, As far as, like, drugs, Mm -hmm. I've said very plainly on this podcast that I am a believer in marijuana and the, the relaxation that it brings, whatever, whatever. But, you know... I have absolutely flirted with the idea of possibly getting like an antidepressant or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like what are some of the, 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 the things to look for or what are some of the signs that maybe you going too far, too far into trying to find that peace through, through drug use? Yeah. Again, it goes back to how it affects your social functioning. So when I look at the young people who use marijuana to cope because they are dealing with a lot of trauma and they'll tell you it calms me down, they basically just numb out. It's called self-medicating. So what I look at is, are you able to handle your business as a young adult? Are you coming to school or working if you're an adult? Are you, if you have a family, are you able to take care of your children? Are you making it to work on time? So you need to look at how you are functioning. If you are using drugs, and I'm not an advocate of that because People need to understand that the process of addiction is serious and it's not a choice. No one chooses to be an addict. It just happens. So what I say to people who choose to self-medicate, pay attention to how much you're drinking and how much you're smoking. Pay attention how often you're doing it. 
Um, pay attention, are you doing it alone or is it in social settings? Um, and how is it impacting your ability to carry out your daily activities? How dang, like is drinking alone, dang, like is smoking alone, like is that legit dangerous? Cause you know, if I'm, if I'm in my feelings or whatever, I don't, you know, that's not, I don't necessarily need people around me. I just need to. It's the difference between, okay, I'm choosing to have a glass of wine, a drink or two by myself versus I'm downing a whole fifth of Johnny Walker. Now that's fair. Okay. And you yeah. have to pay attention to your tolerance level. How much does it take for you to get drunk? How much does it take for you to get high? So if using alcohol and drugs is actually your primary coping, over time, it's going to require more for you to attain that high that you're looking for, and that's how addiction begins to set in. Got it. Um, what are um, what are some of the the um, warning signs that people should look for in people close to them? Because, like, in terms of depression, just in and terms of that, this person might be on the edge. I say some of the warning signs is definitely change changing attitude. Have they were they like a really outgoing person and now all of a sudden they're withdrawn and invisible and not present? Um, have they become more rageful and aggressive? Are they drinking and drugging more than usual? Their thought patterns, how they're viewing how they view the world and how they're showing up in the world. What are they thinking and saying? Does it sound off and crazy? Um, if they're suicidal, are they saying, dropping little hints like, you know, life ain't worth living. Uh, I'll be better off dead. So really monitoring that conversation. And it's usually an internal dialogue that we won't hear unless we ask the questions. And a lot of times we don't want to be in people's business. Mm. So we don't Come ask on. those questions. Come on. And therefore all the people we love suffer in silence. And then when we find out they committed suicide because they were suffering in silence and we didn't want to be in their business, we are now struggling with the guilt of the Lord. Mm. So my question, my, my statement is, don't be afraid to get in your loved one's business. Ask them how they're doing. And if they say okay, and you know they're not, say it. No, you're not. Because you stop coming around. No, you're not. Because you're sleeping all day. No, you're not. Because you drank a whole fifth of liquor by yourself last night. No, you're not. Because I know you don't slept with five different men. Mm. Don't co-sign the bull crap. Call it what it is. And they're going to get angry at you. But you acknowledging it gives them permission to be real about it. Mm. And it's saying, I want to hear. Right? But a lot of times we tiptoe around the issue or the pink elephant in the room because we're uncomfortable and we don't want to make them uncomfortable. But to save someone's life, be prepared to be uncomfortable. Mm. That's love. Let me go back to suicide real quick. Mm -hmm. um, if someone that's close to you is displaying signs of suicide, like, you know, we'll watch a TV show and then they'll go to the commercial your life and they had that 800 number like i get that but like what is a realistic way to get someone help for for possible suicide like do you okay. legit just call a number like because they don't have to pick up like how does that work well as a professional so as a professional if someone is expressing suicidal ideation for me i need to call a mobile crisis unit and get them here to do an assessment get them to the hospital I can't leave them. It's liability. 
I do the same thing in my personal life with friends. I have had to do it with a close sister friend of mine who had become suicidal. And I had to instruct her children to call the ambulance and I met her at the hospital. There's no question. There is no negotiation. If you are suicidal, I don't care if you get mad at me as a friend. I'm going to try to save your life by getting you help whether you want it or not. Mm. So a lot of times we don't want to, we don't, somebody might share something with us in confidence that they are suicidal or they're making suicidal statements and we're afraid to share, but silence is deadly. Mm. Silence is deadly. So they might be mad at you because you told me a secret, but you're going to be mad at yourself if they carry out that mm. right so it's about getting over the ego oh they're gonna be mad at me people are gonna call me a snitch if i tell what are you gonna call yourself if your friend kills themselves after they told you they had a gun and it's loaded and they think about killing themselves on saturday mm. right yeah what you how you gonna feel yeah right yeah yeah, yeah so you you they suicidal they telling you this just call 911 and just say, I have somebody who's suicidal who needs help. Ask for a mobile crisis unit. You can't physically drag them to the hospital. You can't do that. But you can get someone to come to the house to do the assessment. Mm. And that's the beginning of getting them help. What are the signs that you have healed? Or is it is that too... I don't think that there's a such thing as being healed. Because healing is a process and a journey. So you, there are different levels of healing, and I don't think the process, as long as we're alive, the process, the journey of healing is never going to end. Mm. I too lost my mother 27 years ago, and it's gotten better. There's days that I cry for her like it was just yesterday, right? Because I'm experiencing the trauma of the loss. And then there's days where I can think about her and smile. So I can't say... When, the, when is there a cutoff point? I think what we have to look at is how we are coping with it because I have a cousin who also lost her mother. We were around the same age. Her parents, I believe, died a couple of years after mine, both of them, within three months of each other. Mm. And here we are 20 years later. She's still not functioning. She's still dependent on other people trying to help her take care of herself. So she's not hoping that she's never got help for the depression. I really feel like she fell into a clinical depression and never was able to work through that to take full responsibility for her life and heal. So going back to your question, is there a cutoff? I can't say that there's ever a cutoff where we may not experience the loss, but there should be some progress in, in our ability to cope. So if it's 20 years later and every time you're speaking about your mom, you're still crying like she died yesterday, you are still holding on to that trauma. Healing is a process because things are going to happen in our lives that are going to trigger past wounds, right? So, and we need to be willing to work on that. So healing is a journey. It's not a destination. We don't know where it's going to, where we're going to end up. Mm. But we have to trust the process. It's a process and it gets it when you're committed to your healing, you will continue to seek out what you need to heal. Some people it is church, right? Some people it might be some other form of meditation, spiritual group. Some other people it might be therapy. It might be a combination of all of that. So you need to figure out 
what works for us. My healing entailed not only therapy, not only singing in a group, not only taking a dance class, because movement is therapy, not only taking a yoga class every now and again, but I'm constantly looking for ways that when I'm dealing with something so that I'm not using food to cope because food is my drug, mm-hmm. I eat, right? Mm-hmm. I have to find <laughs> ways to release and shift energy. And it may be just going and sitting in the sauna and crying and meditating. It may be going to a bathhouse and going to get in the jacuzzi and practice. Come on, bathhouse. You get what I'm saying? So you have to find. And for me, I went through several rites of passages because of each rites of passage, I learned different tools for coping with life. So it's about finding things that are going to help you cope. Talking about it is not enough. You've got to take action. So I know that when I'm depressed, it's time. I got to get up. I got to go to the swimming pool. I need a baptism. I got to swim. Right? I know that I need to meditate and release and journal. Right? I know that I need to reflect on what's triggering this right now. Mm. And I may need to go see a therapist. So you need to have a tray of options. One thing may not be suffice. And a lot of times we want to depend on our mate. And that can become a burden. Yes, they need to be there for you, they should be there for you, they should be in support, but they can't be responsible for your healing. Mm. That's a burden, that's too much. Because what happens when they don't meet that need? Thank you so, so very much for speaking to me. Mm. Um, And I really do hope that this helps somebody else. Um, If someone is is interested in sitting down with you and speaking to you about some of the things that they're going through, how can they find you? So I'm going to leave you with my number and an email address and also my website. So my name is Tanya Sharice Odoms. I can be reached at tanyasharisodoms.com. That's T-A-N as in Nancy, Y-A-S as in Sam, H-E-R-I-S-E. My last name is Odoms, O-D as in David, U-M as in Mary, S. TanyaSharisOdoms.com and you can reach me at 631-485-7473 and my email is TanyaSharisSS at gmail.com. That's TanyaSharise, Sharice is spelled SheRiseSS at gmail.com. So that's TanyaSharise Social Solutions. That's what the double S stands for. Got it. Okay. Um, and then, like, I have people that listen to me all around the world, you know. <laughs> so, like, if someone, let's say, is a person in London that wants to connect with you, is that possible? Like, can yes, they I can do video sessions. It's called teletherapy. Okay. Um, I can do video sessions. I do, um, in terms of compensation, PayPal. They can pay through PayPal. Um, I'm working on getting back on the insurance board for people in New York City where we can do some billing and they just need to call for an appointment. I'm also thinking about setting up some support groups because support groups are very effective, specifically when people have a common issue that they can band together and connect together and realize that they're not the only ones going through this because a lot of the mental illness I see that people are addressing they are hiding. Terry Williams has this book called Black Pain. Mm. It just looks like we're not hurting. And she 
interviewed a lot of different celebrities. You have Monique in there, you have um, Mary J. Blige in there, and the book, and they're all telling their stories of how they suffered in silence. And she talks about the need for us to remove the mask so that we can heal as a community. So I am gonna recommend that your audience go get the book Black Pain by Terry Williams and begin She's also uh, a licensed clinical social worker, and she has started the she has started the Stay Strong campaign to help people of color begin to address depression in the black community. Because she too, she was a famous publicist, had high powered clients from Janet Jackson to Miles um, Davis, and had a booming career, but was suffering very bad from dep depression. But had to go out every day and put on a smile like. Everything was fine and, and, and not acknowledge or share what she was dealing with because she was a professional in the public eye. So she started this campaign to bring awareness about the suffering that we are going through as people of color and how we're going through it alone. And she used to have these forums where the stars would come out and tell their stories of their pain. And it was amazing how people would just stand up and say, yes, this has happened to me. I was molested at this age. My mother died. I was abused, this, that, and the other thing. So people started to share their pain in this big open forum. But what I realized is that the forum is not enough because it just opened up a wound. Mm. And if you're not nursing that wound, wound, it can get infected. Mm. So just stating it is not enough. Doing the work to work through the trauma or the drama you're going through is what needs to happen. And you can do that in therapy. And you can do or go do some 12-step programs. Mm -hmm. There's programs out there that are free. There's support groups that are out there that are free. Google it. Join a, a meetup group of people who are, are, are grieving mothers, mothers who have lost their children, um, daughters who have lost their mothers. Find a support group so you don't have to go through this alone. But if it's safer for you to start in one-on-one -on -one therapy, find you a therapist. And if the first therapist that you meet, you're not connecting with, you keep going. It's like shoe shopping. You're going to try on some shoes. You're going to figure out which ones feel good, which, which even though they might be cute, they may not feel good. Mm. You have to choose the shoe that fits you. And that's how you need to approach finding your therapist. Find a therapist that fits you. Would you say uh, it's best to go with referrals or like just try to do, like you said, Google? Like I think if you have friends and family that happen in therapy and they can recommend somebody, I say go with that. If not, um, you can always, if you have medical insurance, there's a number on the back of the medical card that usually says behavioral health or mental health. And you give them your area code and they will give you a list of therapists in your community or close to your community, and you can set up appointments to see them. What I want to say to the village, to the community, is that we need to learn how to love each other and support each other. And I think when, with all of these reality shows and all this ratchetness, we have lost the ability to empathize and, it, and support each other. And it's teaching our children to be unempathetic and discompassionate. And when people, we're so caught up in ourselves and this social media that we are not fully present. We're so much on the grind that we're not there for each other. So what I want to offer the village is a challenge. 
If you know somebody is hurting and dealing with something, reach out to them. They may not respond to you, but that kind gesture would make them feel like they're not alone. Mm. Right? If you know somebody is suffering, don't pretend like you don't know. Acknowledge it. If we have loved ones who are self-medicating and, self, and self-sabotaging because they can't cope with their pain, don't co-sign it with your silence. Confront it. Say, I love you, and I see you falling apart, and I can't let you do this. You need help. Right? They might tell you to get out there safe, but the point is you acknowledged it, and you put it out there. Because a lot of times, like we talked about earlier, we want to mind our business. And when we mind our business, people really suffer. People really suffer. So don't mind your business when people you love are suffering. And be prepared to deal with the backlash, which is their anger. So when they come through it, they're going to remember that you were there for them. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to co-sign that because it was, I got so many, you know, I got a lot of calls and people, my friends who reached out and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't answer, I couldn't speak to them, but it absolutely helped to just see that text message and just, you know, to know that somewhere somebody was thinking about me in this moment when, you know, it just really feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Tanya Sharice Odom, thank you again. Welcome. I really, really appreciate being able to sit up here and uh, <clears throat> learn how to breathe through my tears. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and like I said, I really hope, you know, for anybody out there who may be suffering and going through anything, I really hope that this helps you. If you know someone, I hope, you know, this is something that is a great referral that you can offer to them. And again, your number. So if anyone wants, uh, is looking for someone to speak to, 631 485 7473. You can leave a voicemail. I will get back to you. Um, yeah. And I'll make sure to include that phone number as well as your email in the description of the episode. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for hanging out and checking out Black Ass Podcast. And thank you guys for all of the email messages, texts, um, what is it, mentions of, you know, wanting me to come back. So here we are. All right, y'all. Peace.